Jewish Latin Princess, episode 134, part two of a conversation with Holocaust survivor and New York City street artist, Hedy Pagramansky. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome back. We are back with Hedy Pagramansky, Holocaust survivor and New York City street artist. We left off with her telling us why she always knew she'd marry Jewish. Now, what about raising the next generation with a sense of accountability to a higher standard of morality? We talk about that. Anger after the Holocaust. How did her husband, Eric, get rid of it? What was under all that anger? Such a powerful lesson for all of us. And the role of volunteering, of giving back to those most alienated from society, like those in the prison system, those with disabilities, the role it played in their family life. So much of this conversation has to do with light amidst the darkness and repairing a broken world. And the Pagramanskis certainly knew about a broken world. What did Hetty learn from all of these experiences? They're surviving and they're thriving. How did Hetty and Eric Pagramansky thrive? What was the price of entry into Hetty's paintings and why? Including anecdotes about her paintings of New York City, her favorite New York City corner to paint, and she painted a lot of them, and her commissions from Wall Street Mongols, among others. More than a few tears were shed during this interview, even at unexpected times. Here's the lovely Hetty Pagramansky. Did you grow up thinking, I'm going to marry a Jewish boy? Oh, yeah, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew it because... Why? I am a Jew. Mm. And this boy would have to have the same knowledge mm. as I have. The same value system. The same value system. Mm. And yet, most of my friends... If they're Jewish, it's by accident. So how do you feel about that, though? Because it is a, it is, it is a symptom of American Jewry, the assimilation and the lack of connection to our value system. And um, wouldn't we, could, we could argue that what you said about knowing so strongly that we don't hurt other people, and if we do, we have to repair that. That is a universal truth that a person can only apply in their lives when they understand that there's something much greater than their, themselves and not committing the atrocities that you, Eric lived, that you lived, and that we see in our current world has to, to do with having a moral framework that is beyond us, beyond the human rationale, because human beings, as we know, can be wonderful, but we can also rationalize a lot of evil behavior. So doesn't it behoove us to educate our young in, in a belief in something that is so much greater than themselves that they feel they are accountable to something higher, not just to their ego and themselves? Yes, I agree with you completely. Mm. But that same morality is universal. Yes, yes. And, and if we don't, for example, 
if you were to ask me, what is God? Hmm. God is something inside of me. Correct. That I belong to, that stops me from doing what what God is my conscience. Yes. Yeah. And that we all have it. We do. We do. Right? You know, and it's... That's that we have to teach. It's so beautiful because you just reminded me that the Lubavitcher Rebbe instituted or tried very hard to institute in America something in the public school system called a moment of silence, a moment where children everywhere from all faiths and denominations could just have in the morning a moment to just reflect and then take it further. The, the idea behind the moment of silence what that was that parents at night would ask the children, what did you think about during your moment of silence? And to have those conversations about oh. beauty and morality and faith in mankind and being held to a higher standard. Because again, it's universal for everybody to think, why am I here on this earth today? Somebody, something yes. greater than myself needs me. What am yes. I going to do with my day to day? How am I going to serve? Yeah, I love you. <laughs> I well, I didn't I come up with this. The Lubavitcher did. <laughs> I'm just no, communicating. No, 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 no. This is, I read a lot of things about Judaism. And because there's such a purity in saying you cannot have an idol as a God. Hmm. And that the way one group says, let's stop being so sad. Let's dance and sing. Right? Yeah. In other words, that Judaism gets divided into so many universal things, mm -hmm. which Valerian Vogel had, yes. which the Neusiedlers have, which the guard who went with Eric to, to, buy, um, to buy black market things for his family, mm -hmm. and then sent some of the food for Eric to give to his mother in the ghetto. In other words, the friends I, I am deeply close to, Like the one who said to me, why do you do the Lower East Side only? Why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People who ask the kind of questions you're asking me. I love questions because they make me think of why am I who I am. Right. right. You know, right. my so, children, yeah. They, yeah. they said often, I am a child of a Holocaust concentration camp survivor because Eric, Eric's fight not to let anybody make him become what he decided never to be. Because I watched Eric during those years um, understanding what he cannot afford, which was to keep that anger inside of him. Wow. Wow. Did he get when rid he, of it? Completely. As a matter of fact, I must tell you this. When he was already in his last days, a group, a group of my son's friends came And because my son is gay mm -hmm. and, and they went through so much, mm -hmm. people with gender problems, not their problems, but the problems of the world surrounding them, right. the, of the judgments, mm -hmm. would come to Eric and say, what do I do here? There? How do I not get angry? Wow. So one of them said, Eric, tell me again, how did you get rid of the anger? And he said, whenever I felt it coming, I would. Then he would take his fingers and put them next to his mouth and make a pulling move. And I would pull that out, look at it, and think, is it worth it? Hmm. Is it worth it? And throw it away. I love that. And, yeah. And he said, and it took years 
until one day I pulled and there was nothing left to pull out anymore. And I found myself underneath. It had been waiting for me. I'm crying when I sing. I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> we'll cry together. <laughs> you know, what's so beautiful about what he said is what came to my mind is he found his soul. And I think oh, that is yes. a journey for all oh, of us yes. and such a lesson that we are not the anger. We are not the thoughts. We can distance ourselves from that and get to the core of who we are. We are not the trauma. Yes, and I saw how hard it was for him. The anger was a monster lying in his chest. Eating him up. Eating him up. And, and let me tell you of the blessing. In prison, because the volunteer work after Sing Sing and everywhere kept on going until... A few days before he passed away, he did it in Skype. So he would, he would just for clarify for listeners, he would go visit prisoners in the prison system. How often would he go? Well, we, to Sing Sing, we went every Monday night for years. Mm -hmm. And our kids, when they were in summer vacation, mm -hmm. I called the Red Cross when my youngest, who is now in his 60s, early 60s, when he went to kindergarten, I called the Red Cross and I said, I would like to teach art to children who have never been taught art. Those children who are too poor to have ever had any lessons. Uh -huh. Can I do that? And the woman, her name was Esterbrook. I remember because Esterbrook pens existed. Okay. And I said, I spoke to her and she said, I'm sorry, we do not teach children. We don't have classes for children, but for the first time ever, the Nassau County Jail is allowing teachers to come, volunteers, to come into the women's prison. Would you be willing? And I said, let me think about it. And I went home and I told Eric and the kids. Mm -hmm. And they said, of course. And I was teaching there. And at that time, the only women who were in prison were black. Wow. Okay. We're speaking of about 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there was one who was, I did that for about five years. And there was one woman who was constantly being brought in. Because if somebody, she was huge and angry. And if somebody said a crossword to her, she'd throw them over her shoulder and end up in prison. Mm -hmm. And I needed to teach people who I knew would never have money for art materials. Right. So, of course, pencil and paper. And I would pick up little twigs and things like that from the street and show it and have people with their finger. Now, Yale, this is a wonderful thing. From your finger, what you touch... Mm -hmm. goes into your brain. Don't ask me to explain it, because I don't understand. But to take a corner of that branch and with your finger, draw it. And then right next to it, do that same shape with pencil. And then pick another branch and do that same process. And the thing is, something happens. The brain and the finger... And just a minute, when I was teaching children with disabilities, mm -hmm. those who train themselves to do it with a pencil in the mouth, 
because the fingers don't work. Right. Or those who do it with their feet can also do it. God allows you to use another part of your body mm-hmm. if you can't use one. Right. And one day this woman came to me and she said, could I show you the tree I drew? And I said, yes, because I only asked to see it if they wanted to show me. Mm-hmm. And there was this delicate, you know how the Japanese do these incredible drawings of very little, one branch, one item, but so perfect. She did a tree that way with branches twining into each other. And I looked at her and at that moment I thought, they gave you the wrong body. This is who you are. Mm. And nobody recognized it and that's why you're so angry. Yeah. Yep. Nobody know that this is you. Mm. So anyway, in prison, people who had been violent could connect to Eric by speaking in a way that they would not speak to anybody else. Mm. He understood. He understood. But how did he understand when he didn't say so? The way he asked questions. I was with him in one of the counseling sessions when both of us were together. Usually we did it, we were given separate people. And this man was brought to us because he didn't stop crying. And I would have done the usual. I would have asked if I could help or something. Eric didn't. He said, tell me what bothers you. Mm-hmm. And he said, to him he answered, to Eric he answered in a way he would not have answered me. He told about his girlfriend who suddenly had another boyfriend <laughs> and he beat her up. Mm. And Eric said, how many years were you imprisoned? And the man gave a number of years. And Eric said, in all those years, If somebody hurt you, what could you do? He said, nothing. He said, so all that rage has been sitting in you and you hadn't been able to use it. And suddenly it all came out. Mm. And the guy kept crying. He said, what scares me is who have I become? Mm. And Eric said, it will never happen again. And the guy said, how do you know? Oh, he knew. Because you got the result. Mm. You acted on it and you saw all you did was lose. Mm -hmm. Now, I would not have known how to say that. So Eric used the wisdom of what he learned. You see how much light can come out of the darkness? Yes. If you won't won't accept what goes against your soul. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's um, let's go back to the to the painting to the artist because again, like you said at the beginning of our conversation, it's so unusual for a lady from Vienna to go out in the streets of Manhattan, <laughs> right? With <laughs> and, dungarees, with dungarees, <laughs> and paint and have strangers look at her. Tell us about that. First of all, where did that idea come from? I have to go do this outdoors. And and it became your thing. And you would, I think there was, you would interact with people who you wanted to paint. There was a price of entry into your pictures, right? Yes, yes. Wow. 
what I love about you is you ask questions that I need to learn to answer. Okay, part of being an eight-year-old in Vienna in hiding was I used to wonder how people survive. How, if that's waiting outside, what do other people do? Hmm. And the funny thing is, in all my friendships, people at some point in time talk to me about how they survive. Because everybody survives something. Something, right. Right? Mm-hmm. Everybody. I've not met one person who hasn't survived something or is still surviving. And I need to know, I have such a need to know Hmm. how we survive. And painting gave you that? Yes. Yes. So it has to be people I paint. Hmm. But to do the street they live in, is allowing me further entrance to their story. Yes. Hmm. And I need to tell those stories because otherwise we will keep on hating each other. Hmm. We hate each other for such stupidities. Hmm. Did I pick my skin color? No. You didn't, right? you didn't pick your faith. Did I pick my no. religion? No. no. Did I pick my nationality? No. Mm-hmm. Did I pick my gender? No. And nobody else did either. Exactly. And there's such beauty in that. That means that the creator of the world wants us here exactly as we are. The ones with the darker skin, the ones with the Jewish faith, the ones with the Muslim faith, the ones, all of it, all of it is needed. Okay. At the tail end of it, I do envision And there's something that a friend said to me that she said that if we judge, Mm. then we can't love. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, my daughter and I were talking about that, that judging doesn't mean, the very word judge means, I'm looking at you and seeing if you're good enough. So the very word judge, I didn't tell you about Mickey Burglass yet. But Mickey Burglass, oh, oh yeah, I called the Red Cross and I said, I'm going to stop. Oh, right, right. You called the Red Cross, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, Mickey? I was getting mostly drug people. And you cannot teach somebody who's taking drugs Mm -hmm. because they've hidden themselves. Right, right. Right, the drugs are there to destroy who you are and become somebody else. Yeah, you're trying to get to the soul of the person, but this is covering it. They're covering it. They're hiding behind. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. And Mickey Burglass, oh yeah, so I said to the Red Cross, I can't, I'm wasting my time. Now instead of people wanting to learn to draw, it's, it was mostly young white kids. Do I have to? What does it matter if it doesn't look the same way? Mm. Do I have to? And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. So she said, don't quit on us. There's a man named Mickey Burglass. Listen to him first and then decide. Okay, so what did he say? Mickey Burglass 
was this white young man wearing jeans. In those days, white people dressed nicely. They didn't wear jeans. Okay. Wore jeans. And he told us his story. He came from a very wealthy family in the South. Mm. He was white. Mm -hmm. He knew no matter what he did, he would just go to the judge who was a personal friend and clear up whatever it was. Mm, he grew up in that world. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then he embezzled. Mm. He committed a crime big enough that he did end up in jail. Right. Okay. And everybody was black. A southern town. But he knew the judges and he knew the guards. They treated him differently. So anybody who needed him would go to him. So he was a big man, as he was in the outside world. And one day, a group of prisoners took a man who was handicapped, put him into a wheelchair, and began to push him into a boiling hot shower. Okay, and Mickey stood there and acted it out. He said he fletched himself, his muscles, and he was about to charge in. And then he stopped short. He said, I didn't have power anymore. I realized if I would try to stop them, they would shove me in next. I would be next. And for that first time in his life, he realized what it means not to have power. And he became an activist and was teaching us how never to judge. Mm. And like if I counsel somebody, if I make a chart. Let's say I meet you for the first time. I make a chart and I have a column in it. First, I ask, who are the people who matter in your life? Mm. And then I write those names down. Some people have a lot. Some people have nobody. Some people have one or two. Then the next column, I say, how do you feel about that person? And I say, don't judge. Don't tell me what you think of them. Just what feelings do you have towards that person? That is the hardest question to ask because they'll immediately give an opinion. Mm. And I wait and keep waiting until they can tell me how they feel. They're not used to feeling or allowing the judgment of that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then the next question is, how do they feel about you? Wow. Okay. By the second one, the second question, they have already loosened up. By the third question, they're mine. Because nobody ever asked them that before. Right. And the last question is, if you could be anybody in the world, what would you want? And the question, the answer to that one is usually something they could not be. Um, a psychiatrist, an astronaut, a president, and so I have something to work with. Mm. Okay, you can't 
become a judge, but you could learn about this or that of cases. You could do this or that. And but when it came to the people, the one most memorable to me was one who mentioned his mother. And then, how do you feel about her? She's a pain. She's <laughs> always telling me what to do. She doesn't listen to me. You said you have a son. What do you say to him? I guess the same thing I say to my, my mother said to me. Mm. And that I learned from Vicki Burglass. You ask questions that are personal. And you don't condemn a person for what they did. Because at that time and place, it was the right moment. Mm. So we judge the action, but not the person, right? But, exactly. But we need to find out who told you about that action. Right. Why don't you, why did you, why did, right. in other words, and you're free to use that, those questions on anybody, okay? Yeah. Because they are amazing. Yeah. They see you. Mm-hmm. They don't judge you. Mm-hmm. They ask you why. Right, right. You know, you said something, and then I'm going to wrap it up. You said something. We all have something that we survived, right? Yes. But then there's those of us who actually not just survive, but thrive. And it seems like that is what you've done through your work, through the art through your work counseling people, it seems also that Eric was able to thrive despite everything. Yes. yes. What do you think? What would, if there was one thing you could attribute to the distinction between just surviving and actually thriving, what would that be? I think every child is born with it. That's a stray cat. Let me take it home. Every child has it. We have to nurture it. Mm -hmm. let, them, let them become volunteers. Mm. My kids, they became volunteers for our taking them. We took them to work with a little boy mm. who couldn't walk. If that father and mother would not have written to the newspapers and said, we need volunteers, and it was beginning of summer, and I called and I said, could you accept children? And he said, yes. And when Joni and Kenny came in, and this child had to creep and crawl over and over and over and over and over again. And when I tried to have him do it for me, a garbage truck went by. And he wanted to see the garbage truck. And I said, I'm sorry, Craig, you can't keep crawling. And then I looked at him again and I thought, I'm wrong. Yeah. And I said, I'm sorry, Craig. Mm. And I, we went to the window and he began to cry because the truck was gone. Oh. And I cried with him. 
And after that, I couldn't work with him. He wouldn't listen to me at all anymore. Mm. Because, because I wasn't steadfast. And then when Joni and Kenny came, they brought their dog. And Greg could kiss the dog who was standing with one of them when he reached there. And then when he turned and went back again, they moved the dog to the other kid. Mm. He kept crawling and crawling and crawling because he could kiss the dog. Mm -hmm. So my kids, when they came into that room, they were very important. And I think volunteers are given importance. And well, that's what I would like to say. I think it, and it, it ties on to everything we've discussed because it is children who don't have this ability to just look at the soul of humans and not judge. They don't care. They, don't, they see past all the externalities, which is just yes. what that experience was for your children. They just they see the ability. They see the potential. They're not tainted by the the other things that taint us as adults and so <laughs> it behooves us all to take that to heart and be more like the children definitely so i i am so happy to have you <laughs> in my life thank you <laughs> me too now i have to come to wait where are you are you in new york city no no i'm in long island Oh, in Long Island. Okay, so now I have to make it up to New York and give you a big hug and we could sit and have tea and schmooze. But now I'm going to oh, ask you, wouldn't that be lovely? Can we meet each other? Please, God. Please, God, soon. <laughs> oh, please, please. And I can be six foot apart from you <laughs> well, and I'm, wear a mask. I'm in, but I could look. I'm in Texas, so I don't know oh. when I'll be flying to New York, but... Um, especially now with this pandemic, but I now I, I have a motivation to keep praying that this ends so that I could make it to New York and we could actually meet and have our tea. Yes, oh, definitely. I would love it. I would love it too. So now what I want to do is I'm going to do what I call JLP fill in the blanks, which is the part of the show where I'm going to give you a few open-ended questions and you're just going to finish them with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you up for that? Yes. It's fun. Okay, so here we go. I'm Hetty Pagramansky, and I feel most spiritual when? Oh, I feel it 99% of my life when, when I'm speaking, when I'm feeling that somebody hears what I have to say. Mm. I need to change the world. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah. But the spiritual is, is a permanent part. Correct. Of of me. Correct. Yeah. And you speak through your art too. So God has blessed you with both forms of communication. <laughs> I think we are all blessed. But if we, if we don't obey who we are mm -hmm. meant to be, mm -hmm. we feel it. We become bitter. Yeah. Well, we have to respond to the calling, right? The calling of our soul. Yes. Why are we here? How am I here to serve? All right. My favorite mitzvah or one I connect with the most is? Don't hurt anybody. Mm, loving your fellow as yourself. Yeah, but the hurting is so easy. Mm. In other words, until that person identifies himself or herself 
as what bothers me mm-hmm. or doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. We don't know what to do. And I find when I draw somebody or paint somebody, mm-hmm. oh, let me just tell you this, may I? Please. Okay. I said to, I, I belong to a group of people who exercise mm-hmm. who are seniors. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, I'm going to do a drawing for anybody who let, allows me to draw every wrinkle uh-huh. <laughs> and I love not it. complain. I love it. Okay, and don't complain. And I'll give you the drawing. And then if you don't want it, I'll keep it. But if you want it, I'll, I need to do another one <laughs> so I can have one. <laughs> did you and have I, a lot of takers? Did they, did they agree? Yes, but the first one that I did is somebody I've been a friend with for so long and love her. Uh-huh. And she's a gourmet cook and feeds people with love. Mm-hmm. And Eric and I used to go there to their house and we were like, it was, it was all for us. Mm-hmm. She knew how to give food. And when I tried to draw her, she talked about politics. And suddenly it wasn't her. And I said, Anita, it's not working. I'm not able to get you. I just don't know how. Because mm-hmm. I didn't. And then somebody came to visit me and she said it was somebody whom I had spoken to in the senior citizen class and we liked each other. Mm-hmm. And she sat down six foot away from me and lifted up her arms as if to embrace the world and she began to sing. Mm-hmm. And I said, I didn't know you could sing. She said, I spent my life singing. Now she's 90. Wow. I got all the wrinkles I need and, and knew I couldn't do because I, I, it didn't work. And she said, I always did. I sang in the choir in my synagogue. I sang in school. I sang in plays. I sang in parades mm-hmm. from Macy's. Yeah. I, I said, the Thanksgiving parade, she said, no. But I danced in one where they had others with the munchkins. Okay. And she said, I danced and I sang. And after a visit, I went to bed and I was thinking, she's not who she looks like. Mm. She's somebody who gave. Because the way she raised her arms, she was giving. Yeah. She didn't sing with her hands in her lap. Right. Right? Right. And I called her. I said, Rona, can I draw you with every wrinkle? And I told her why. And she said, sure. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I realized it is so good. The drawing is so good. I caught her. She's not a 90-year-old who walks with a cane. 
she's a beautiful singer. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend who is a giver. He gives and he gives. And he's just such a good human being. And I said, Ben, I want to draw you. And I said, I know you don't accept gifts, but you're always giving. And that'll be the only thing you'll accept, right? He said, don't draw me now. Draw me when I was young and handsome. And I said, but I didn't know you when you were young and handsome. Right. <laughs> I need to do you now. He Did said, he okay, okay. But when he came, he still brought pictures of when he was young. And I said, but I didn't know it. That is probably the best drawing I have ever done. Really? Yes. And I said, I'm going to make, but I said, I'm going to make another one for you because I don't know. I, don't, I need one for myself. Hmm. And I started doing it. Just doing, starting with his face only. And really he began to talk. And he talked about his life and his past. And suddenly it was him. Yeah, yeah. And he looked at it and all I had was a face. And he said, I don't want the other one, I want this one. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, but why? He says, because it's me. Yeah. And I said, Ben, it's because you talked about your life. Mm -hmm. You didn't talk about anything except about your life. And so now I am drawing everybody and anybody, but not because they have wrinkles, mm. but because they will talk about themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because people want to be seen. And you're yes. allowing them, you're allowing to come to, for the real person to come out. It's really what you're capturing. Exactly. Um, but why, why, why did you pick your profession when you're doing exactly that? Me? Yeah. I think in the same way. I, I, I like to know people. I really, really do. And now you made me cry. <laughs> okay. But you give themselves to me. Mm. You give, you give me to me. Mm. because of the way you listen and the way you ask and your steps ahead of me. <laughs> if you come from Texas, I won't do it from photographs. <laughs> But if you come, because I intend to live to 100. <laughs> I have to because I have so much to do. Okay. For Well, we, you have yourself a deal. We will sit and you will draw me and I will talk. Yes. And I might cry a lot and I might not stop talking for a while. So are you up for I that? So. <laughs> I would love it. Because All right. Then, then, and then I'll do one for me and one for you. Beautiful. You have and yourself you a deal. We're on. We're on. All right. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is... You have so many. How, how will we pick? I don't know. When somebody said to me, as a Jewish memory, God will forgive you for anything hmm. that you do against him. Just apologize. But God says that if you hurt any of my fellow beings, yes. you have to fix it yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So empowering. Yeah. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is... That it's okay 
not to believe in Bible stories, <laughs> but to believe in people that God created. Mm, yeah. Because people told the Bible stories through centuries with their own prejudices. Otherwise, why would the Bible say that being a homosexual is an abomination? Mm. Only a human being would have said that, never mm. God. Mm. When I give tzedakah, charity, I'd like to give too? I'd like to give an action mm. instead of anything else. Mm. An mm. action. And you have given a lot. <laughs> because I'm able to. Baruch Hashem, thank God. Thank God. And finally, I am Hedy Pagramansky, and today I feel most grateful for. Are we only speaking of today? Today, in this moment, I am Hedy Pagramansky, and I, today I feel most grateful for. For having been on this broadcast. Mm. And, and, I am, you. and I am having. grateful to you for having been here with me. It's mutual. You have definitely made my day. You are such an inspiration. I hope you are actively working and painting and still creating because the world needs your light. It needs your art and everything else. So okay. please it's, tell me that you're painting. Do you paint every day? Yes. Thank yes. God. But I draw. No, I, I have a problem with painting now oh. because if I put on the air conditioning, I'm comfortable. But mm. if I put on the air conditioning, I can't open the window. And the oil, the smells oh, right. are not healthy. Right, 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 so, right. Right. So I am doing more drawing than painting at the moment. Okay. Listen, but, we have a date. <laughs> oh, we definitely do. <laughs> and I'm going to tell all the listeners where they can find you on your website. And I understand that you are up in social media and you do some Facebook lives. Is that correct? This is a peculiar thing mm -hmm. that I don't know how to handle. Okay. I always hated social media mm -hmm. because I don't need to know what somebody eats for breakfast. <laughs> correct. I need, to, I need to know them. Them. Right. I loved working in the street. Because everybody asked me questions and ended up telling me about their lives. And since an average painting might make me be in that area for a year or less or more, people really talked. And I found out I love the stories people tell me. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I had a stroke and I broke my right arm and my right hip and and whatever it was, I couldn't sit on street corners anymore. Mm. And what happened was I knew, I knew that I wasn't meant not to do these things. Mm -hmm. I I escaped Vienna, I escaped so many things. It wasn't meant to be that I should stop. And so I can walk. Mm -hmm. I'm not very graceful. And if I do distances, I use a walker. Mm -hmm. But I can walk. Mm -hmm. I can definitely paint. I can even put socks and shoes on. Thank God. Yes, thank God. And, and so I 
I went to a meeting and met a young, young woman who I didn't know that she was being honor, honored. It's a crisis center. Mm-hmm. And she was being honored. And I saw this young woman sitting there and we began to talk. And you know how sometimes you meet somebody and you've known them all your life. Yeah. Right? Yep. And we started to write to each other, email. Mm-hmm. And she said, you said you did 90 paintings. Where are they and what are they of? Mm-hmm. So I went to all my records and tried to find, because I keep records, one folder on each painting. And on some of them, I have three or four folders because people give me things when I'm on the street. They give me their stories. They give me pamphlets and booklets and photographs. And her name is Tammy Smith. I didn't know when I spoke to her that she's a lieutenant general. Mm -hmm. I would never have spoken to her. Mm -hmm. I would have been terrified. Mm -hmm. How does one speak? To a general. Right. And because of that, I started to do a painting from my sketches of the inside of a subway car. Uh Uh-huh. Okay? And it turned out that what I knew I had to do was to do one of every one of us. Chinese, black, Mm -hmm. brown, male, female, crippled child, woman in a wheelchair, a nurse, somebody who's definitely Muslim. Mm -hmm. And can I send you a photograph of that painting? I would love to. I would love to. Now, all the paintings of these beautiful paintings of New York City, were the, did you sell most of that work, or do you still have some of that? <laughs> they sold like hotcakes. Hot wow. And there came a day when Eric said, Hedy, we're not going to sell anymore. Really? Because they are the history of New York. Right. And someday they'll have a value if they're together. Hmm. So let's not sell anymore. Wow. But he said, instead, let's do limited edition prints. Mm-hmm. At that time, I had done three commissions for Goldman Sachs. And, and I knew the Wall Street area people. Mm-hmm. And they had given me an exhibit at Francis Tavern Museum. Mm-hmm. Two exhibits. And so... How and did said, Goldman Sachs find you? I was doing a commission of um, Francis Tavern because a family had asked me to do a painting of their family, but I would only do if they picked parts of New York. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I love New York. Right. I love it so deeply. And they picked Francis Tavern. Yeah. And I painted it and got to know the people there. Mm-hmm. And... One day, a young man walked by, and he said, George Doty from Goldman Sachs would like to meet you. 
Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was, he said, drive over there. And I said, but there's no parking there. And he said, don't worry about it. We'll f- it seems George Doty, when I drove over there, he had somebody stand with my car. I wasn't used to that kind of a world. Mm-hmm. And this was an amazing person. He said, I want to buy that painting because you're painting the archaeological dig, which is going to be a Goldman Sachs building. Mm-hmm. That was right next to Francis Tavern. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that dig beginning, I wanted to paint that. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I said, but you can't, I can't sell you that painting because my family decided some paintings are too important. And this is an archaeological dig. And he said, then, then I, won't, I won't have you paint for me. Is he, was he at the time the CEO of Goldman's? Who was he? He was of gold. He was one of the partners oh, okay. at Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. In other words, a man of power. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> And he said, if that would be like buying a book without the first chapter. Mm. Go Talk to your family and tell them, I want to commission you to do a painting as that building goes up, but I need that beginning painting. Mm -hmm. And so I went home and we talked about it. And Eric said, yes, do it, do Mm -hmm. it, do it. -hmm. I want to say more about this man. Yeah. When I did the third painting. I hope you charged him very, very well, by the way. (laughs) At that time, for me, it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was a standard that I asked at that time. Mm. And what happened, and this I want to tell because about seeing things, he said to me, when I did the third painting, which had all the, all the people in it, the partners, right. the, it just had a lot of people in it. They were walking into the building, is that what it was? No, no, in front of the building. Uh-huh. Right? And I can say, when, if I get your email, I can send you photographs of the three paintings I ended up doing for them. Yeah. And in that one, he said, who are these people? Pointing to very important people mm-hmm. in Goldman Sachs. And I gave him the names, and he said, They don't look like it to me. Oh. I said, no, no, no. They said it looks just like them. Their secretaries said it looks just like them. We're going to sit down and work on it until you think so. Uh-huh. So we sat down. And you know what I found out it was? And he discovered the reason. What was it? I see curves. If I was to look at you... I would see the curve of your eyebrow uh-huh. and see if I followed it, where would it go? Okay. I would see your nostrils and see if I followed them. In other words, everything is curves. And I, I, I do my work. Somebody once told me when you do a crowd scene, look at Bruegel, at, at a crowd scene by Bruegel. Uh-huh. Everything flows. And that's how I paint. And he said, Hedy, I discovered the thing. 
the moment you put angles on the collar and straighten the pockets and straighten the hair, mm-hmm. I see linear, you see circular. Mm. Because when I changed the clothing, he saw the resemblance. Interesting. The sentence, I see linear and you see circular. Mm. When you list columns of numbers, mm. you see linear. Mm-hmm. You are trained to see linear. Mm-hmm. People who work with computers. So interesting because my husband and I have this conversation often because I don't see linear and he does. And he's a numbers person and he sees very much, very much like that. His life has been trained. His brain sees linear. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was doing one of the people in the Goldman Sachs painting, he said, Hedy, could you not make my pocket look as if it's open? Could you make it look as if it's closed? They'd fire me if I wore a pocket like this. Okay? And this woman who made this beautiful tree was a, was a gentle person mm-hmm. in her drawing. You are so good to talk to. You are a That's delight, the- and I'm going to let you go. I, w- I have another question, but I don't know if I should do it. I don't want to keep bothering you. Oh, you're not bothering me. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to say it. Who, who or what street corner, what building, what new, which of all the things you've painted, if you would pick one that had been the most fun experience, which would, that brought you just so much joy when you were working on that one, what, which one would it be? The one I sat on, the corner of the Lancy and Orchard. Okay. I didn't know at that time that I was hiding a window. Their windows are important. And I sat down and began. And Joel Muscott's father used to tell me stories while I was painting. I painted that street and I took over their corner. Uh Uh-huh. And he would tell stories of how he used to stand on a stool and grind eyeglasses, lenses rather. They began that way. And he would tell me stories of his childhood. And then there was the man who was a sort of caregiver, caretaker. He would translate to people. Mm-hmm. Because people would see what I'm doing, they say, oh "My God, what is that? What's that red spot?" And he would say, "It's going to become a this or that." Mm. And during the months of painting, he was always there and telling people what I was doing. Wow! And, and it started my whole career. That corner. And why did you pick that corner? What drew you to that corner of Manhattan? Because it was right near the bridge. So I knew that my daughter drove me, and I knew I'm afraid of driving on bridges. But driving in New York City was like going to the moon. (laughs) 
<laughs> I could drive to the grocery store, but that's about it. Uh-huh. I am not a brave person. And so when Joni took me, I knew I would take photographs and do it at home. But you but didn't. The moment I could not leave the street. I could not leave. I learned to drive over the bridge. Ah, we can get over our fears with the right motivation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But there is a moment in our lives when something says, you don't know it when it happens, hmm. but you know it when you look back on your life. Hmm. It was destiny, that corner, yeah. that family hmm. that was so kind to me. Yeah, yeah. If you hadn't taken that risk and gone yeah. to that corner, yeah. you wouldn't have brought so much light with your work. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? No. What it, like, it's an unimaginable that yeah. if you hadn't taken that one step, thank God you did. You are a blessing to the world. And I look forward to meeting you in person. This has been a delight, a highlight, oh. a highlight for me, for sure, in the, two one, in the three and a half years that I've been doing this certainly a definite highlight and i wish you continued success please send me paintings let's be in touch and yes. i know i have a feeling that god will make it happen that we will oh, yes. see oh, yes. us it each other i love Goodbye, it my daddy. i love it big love hug it. have a beautiful beautiful day Thanks again to Hedy Pogromanski for stopping by and to you, of course, for being here. You can find Hedy at HedyPogromanski.com and on Facebook at Hedy Page. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on iTunes and I will definitely go back to highlighting one reviewer on the show per week. I just felt like these two episodes didn't deserve too much of me on the introduction and I wanted you to have to I wanted to jump right in. I want you to have the full experience, the time to get to know Hedy because, I mean... I don't have to say anything else. It was well worth it, I hope, for you as it was for me. But we will go back to regular programming on, I mean, on next week. Next week, we will come back. In fact, we're going to have a fabulous entrepreneur who also comes from a multicultural world, although quite different. Sarah Farzam, founder of Bilingual Birdies. Not to be missed. Such wisdom and such a young entrepreneur. I want to take this opportunity to wish you all a ketiva v'chadimatova, a happy and healthy and sweet new year and I shall see you here right after the new year thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on iTunes leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love to access today's show notes ask Yael a question or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show visit JewishLatinPrincess.com